How do you know that someone truly loves you? How do you know personally that someone really cares about you, wants what's best for you, again, truly loves you? And in some ways, that that is a hard question to answer because love is complex. But also, I think it's a question that all of us, given some time, could give some answers to. For example, we know someone truly loves us by how they treat us, but by how they want what's best for us, by how they say certain things or do certain things for us, by how they just overall genuinely care for us. And more, of course, could be said. And all that is true, but maybe an even deeper question to consider is how do you know someone truly loves you when you've treated them really wrong? Meaning, how do you know someone truly loves you when you've been nasty toward them or when you've let them down? And in some ways, that's a tougher question. But also, in other ways, I think we all know that's really when someone's love for us really comes out, isn't it? (laughs) Because because it is one thing to love someone when they've been really good to you, but but it's another thing to love someone when they've wronged you. When they've let you down, it's then that deep, real, trustworthy love shines the brightest. All right, ask those questions to start here in Hosea chapter 3, because that in some ways is the the question of the whole Bible. It's not just how do you know that you're loved, but specifically the question of the Bible is how do you and I know that the most important someone, right, God himself who, who made us, how do we know he really loves us? How do I know he really loves me? And it's especially the question is, how do we know that and how does he show that when we've been so unfaithful to him? And I think that's a question to ask really of this whole book of Hosea. But I want to ask it now as we look at Hosea chapter 3. Because notice, this idea of love is the main topic of this passage of Scripture. And you can actually see that for yourself in the topic sentence, if you will, of this chapter. Because notice verse 1. Look down at your Bibles. We'll dive into this more in a bit. But notice what God says to Hosea just in verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And so as you can see, love shows up four times in just that one verse. Gomer and Israel have other lovers and love things besides the Lord. But Hosea is told to love Gomer even as the Lord loves his people. And so again, that is the topic of this passage of scripture. God's love for rebellious people who love other things symbolized in Hosea's love for Gomer. And so the question then becomes, okay, so God loves but, but what then is his love? How does he love? And again, bringing that home to us this morning, the question is, and how do I know that this God loves me? And that's what we'll see together this morning. Paul had said that does bring us then to how we will go through this paragraph in this shorter chapter of Scripture. And as for an outline, we'll have three simple steps to understand this passage. Three steps or sections as we go along. And as for what they are, we're going to ask three questions of the text, which will help us to not only understand the passage, but also eventually to understand more of God's love for us. And so three steps. And as for what they are, first, we're going to ask the question, okay, so what does God tell Hosea to do here? And that'll just be verses 1 and 2. And then second, we'll ask, and then what does Hosea tell Gomer? 
And that'll be just verse 3. And quickly, let me just tell you that what Hosea tells Gomer in this passage is surprisingly significant. And personally, to be honest, I, I didn't know it was significant until studying it this week. But everything hinges, in a way, on that verse 3 there in the middle of the passage. And so look at that second. And then third and finally, in verses 4 and 5, we'll ask most simply, and why? Meaning, why does God tell Hosea to do what he does? And why does Gomer or Hosea say what he says to Gomer? And just so you know, this in this third section is finally going to be where this paragraph really comes together. And it is where I hope you'll see that this great display of God's love, of God's love for you and for me shines the most bright. And so that's our outline. And as we go through this, I just do encourage you to keep asking that question though. How do I know that God loves me? Because really, by the end of this, I hope we will all see and truly feel that God loves us. And that he has actually proven that in history. But, but more on that later. But all that said, let's now dive into our first step and section here on this paragraph. Here again, we're in verses 1 and 2. And we're asking the question, what does God tell Hosea to do? And in that, we're also going to see what Hosea does do. And on the one hand, we're going to see here that answering that question is quite simple, but also there is a lot in these verses that's interesting and, and crucial to understand not only this passage in history, but also for us, it's crucial to understand God's love. And so let's dig in. We'll start again in just verse 1. We already looked at this briefly, seeing the topic of love, but now we'll read it again. Hosea 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And, and so in answer to our question of what God tells Hosea to do, very plainly, it's that Hosea is told to go and again love Gomer. It's, it's that simple. But, but to understand this more, just think about what some of those things in this verse here imply. Because first, that word again there implies that this is now after Hosea already took Gomer as his wife. And it's, and it's here then with those words there of go and again that we start to see that Hosea was not only told to go and initially marry a prostitute and take her kids in and have kids with her, which he did to represent rebellious Israel and God, but also Gomer here, as we can see, then eventually goes and leaves Hosea. And we see that because he's told to go and love her again. And that's then confirmed in the fact that she now on this, also in this verse is said to have another lover. Because who is Hosea supposed to go love? Quote, a woman who is loved by another man. And that's significant because this now means that Gomer hasn't just left, but she's left in such a way where she's found another illicit lover. Some illicit lover who in a way loves her. Which for us is fascinating in this whole analogy if you think about it. Because if all of this happened to represent Israel and God and to represent you and I in our sin as well. Well think about it. In this series we have talked a lot about how us in our sin we're unfaithful to God. And we go after other lovers that we love right? But what's so revealing here is that it's clear it's not just that we love our lovers. But also, in a sense, they love us back. And then briefly, I just encourage you to think about that more concerning your own struggles and your own sins that compete with your love for Jesus. Because think about how the things you tend to disregard God for, certain sins or certain idols, 
like money or success or looks or having the perfect family or politics or news or sports or social media or recognition or whatever it is for you. Think about how, yes, you love those things. We love those things. But also think about how those things also love to have your attention and your heart. It's fascinating because our lovers do love us back. The world and all of its dazzling things that we love in a way love us too. They love to have our hearts, our affections, our time. But, but in the end, the point is having those as our lovers when they take us away from God isn't good for us. Just like our, Gomer's lover here wasn't good for her. And so that's Gomer. And furthermore, though, the fact that all that is going on, as you can see, is confirmed there in verse 1 where she is now said to be an adulteress. And that matters if you're tracking me because before it's true she was a prostitute. We know that. But now here she's said to be an adulteress, which now proves that she has left her husband Hosea and gone to this other lover and committed adultery. And so all in all, that is what Hosea is told to do. To go again and really love Gomer, even as she's left him, even though she's loved by another man, and even though she's an adulteress. And quickly, for all of us, before we do move on, let, let's just all take a second, right, and realize that that's us on our own with God, isn't it? Right? We leave God time and time again. We have our lovers who love having us and our hearts and we're adulterers on our own, not loving our creator and our savior in our sin. But God comes and loves us and he can redeem us and bring us back in Christ. I hope you know that because that is the gospel of Jesus. And in fact, that's even talked about in verse 1 here, right? Because notice, Hosea is told to do all that because, quote, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And so Hosea does this even as the Lord loves his children, which means God loves us as a husband and as a father. Which all leads finally on this verse to one last thing. And I love this because I think this is so us. And this is focusing just a bit on what you might have noticed there is a little confusing. And that's that final few words there. And so we get what's going on. This is us and our unfaithfulness and sin. But notice, what does God decide to exactly say that Israel is leaving him for? You can see it at the end of the verse. It's almost silly. It's, quote, they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. <laughs> And interestingly, studying this this week, we, we are not actually 100% sure 2,000 years or so later what these cakes of raisins were about. Right? Most people tend to think, most scholars tend to think that it was something involved maybe in some sort of idol worship, but we don't know for certain. But that being said, even if we don't know exactly what's going on here, still we can definitely read that and really resonate with it. Because whether these cakes of raisins were involved in explicit idol worship or not, either way, what we do know is that they were cakes of raisins. <laughs> Meaning Israel is leaving the living God for something so shallow as tasty, sweet food. <laughs> and for us, I think we all know we can really resonate with that. Because let's be honest, in our media-saturated, consumeristic, entertainment, pleasure-seeking age, this is so similar to us. Because often, and perhaps more usually, we don't ignore God usually because of crazy huge sins all the time. Right? That does happen, of course, but that's less so day in and day out. 
Rather, we forget about our God because of our cakes of raisins. <laughs> our phones, our TVs, our sports, our hobbies, our foods, our desires for things like sex, clothing, money, success, or whatever it is. Still, that is us all the time. And all the while, God really loves us. And he loves us with a love that can truly satisfy us more than any mere temporary sweet-tasting cake of raisin can satisfy. And so that is what Hosea is told to do. Which then briefly in the section leads to that verse 2 where he actually does it. So look down there now, verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. So in short, this verse is just showing us that Hosea did what God told him to do. He went and loved Gomer and got her back. And to get her back, what he actually did here in history is he went and redeemed her from her lover. He bought her back. Which does show us that whoever her lover was, he did have some ownership of her at this point. Which, which again, can certainly apply to us and our lovers. But again, in basic, to represent Israel and God's people, Hosea went, Israel and God, Hosea went and did what it, what it took to get Hosea back, to redeem her. And again, that is what our God has done for us. He went and redeemed us at the cross. And so that's the first section of what God told Hosea to do and what Hosea did. And that, in some ways, if you've been here through this series on Hosea, is very similar to what we've been seeing so far. We're unfaithful, like Gomer, like Israel, and God comes and takes us back. He loves us, he redeems us, and he does do that for us in Christ. But that now leads to our second section here. And this is the second step in this paragraph. And this is where it starts to get interesting. And for this, we're only going to be in verse 3. And again, here we're asking, and what then does Hosea tell Gomer? And at first glance, again, this might not seem so important. And as I said, for me personally, as I was studying it this week, I honestly kind of thought that it probably wasn't very important at first. But in fact, what Hosea says to Gomer here has big significance for what's to come in verses 4 and 5. And that does mean that as you'll, say, it ha as you'll see, it does have big significance for how you and I can really know that God truly loves us. But more on that in a bit. But first, let's just see this in our text. This will be our shortest section because we're just going to explain what Hosea says to Gomer and then why he says it though won't make a lot of sense until verses 4 and 5. But now, look down at your text. What does Hosea tell Gomer? We'll look at verse 3. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man so will I also be to you. So, so what does Hosea tell Gomer? Well, in basic, he tells her that she must dwell as his for many days, which is interesting. We'll get to that. And not only that, but he tells her that for these many days, she's to, quote, not play the whore or belong to another man. Or literally, and this is actually kind of important, most literally in the Hebrew there, Hosea just says she's to, quote, not have a man. That's what Hosea says to her. And then finally, Hosea says at the end of this, quote, and so will I also be to you, which also is vaguer in the Hebrew as it literally just says there the words, and I to you, which is important as well. And so that's what Hosea says. And now concerning this, there's actually a few different interpretations people have of what Hosea is saying here. And, now, and I know digging into this might sound somewhat academic at first, but, but stick with me. 
Because I think as strange as this may sound, this, imp- imp- this interpretation has big implications for what's to come. And therefore, it has pretty big implications on understanding how God has shown his love towards us. But that said, quickly, here's the three main interpretations people have of what Hosea is saying here to Gomer in God's word. First, it can be interpreted that this verse is just Hosea telling Gomer to be faithful to him and Hosea saying he'll be faithful to her. And this would mean that in this story, Hosea takes Gomer in and right away resumes full intimacy with her in their marriage. And as you, as you read it, you probably heard it like that and the ESV kind of takes that interpretation. But then second, another interpretation is that here Hosea takes Gomer in and then he says to her that she's supposed to be his and that she must not play the whore. But also he says to her that she's not to have a man at all. That's that interpretation. Ever again meaning in sexual intimacy including Hosea. And again, this interpretation makes sense in the fact that Hosea most literally does say to Gomer that she's not to have, quote, a man. And then at the end, Hosea does say to her back, and I to you. Meaning, he's saying here, you won't have marital sexual intimacy with anyone, and I won't have it with you at all. But the the issue with that second interpretation is if, if that's the case permanently, then it seems, right, that Hosea and Gomer, though they're technically married, it seems that then they won't ever really fully be in a loving relationship of marriage, right? Which then leads to the third and I think correct interpretation and it's significant for what's to come. And it's that, okay, so Hosea goes and he loves and he takes Gomer in. He truly redeems her and loves her. But then what he's saying to her here in verse 3 is that yes, she must be faithful And that also she can't have a man, that's what it literally says, including Hosea himself, just as as Hosea won't have a woman including her in intimacy. And so that will take place. But this will only be the case in their marriage for many days, as you can see there. Meaning, they're technically married again. And he truly loves her. And yet... God wants them to have this period where they won't have full intimacy and fully enjoy their marriage. And that will be the case for many days. And that's where that many days comes in. And in fact, you're going to see that phrase come up again right away in verse 4, which is huge. But more on that in a second. But for now, very briefly, that's actually just our second section and step here in answer to that second question. And I know that leaves us hanging a bit. And it may seem kind of weird. But in short, what does Hosea tell Gomer? Where he's taken her in, he's redeemed her, and he genuinely loves her. But for some reason, she's not only to be faithful to him and him to her, but they're not to have one another intimately in this marriage. But not permanently, but for many days. Which again, just to repeat myself, I hope we're all feeling it, is supposed to leave us hanging. Because think about it. Everything we've talked about in Hosea so far, if we were reading Hosea for the first time and understood that Hosea just said that, we should be feeling, what? Like, why God? Why limit their marriage like this? Doesn't that mess up the idea that Hosea really loves Gomer? And doesn't that start to mess up the idea that maybe God really loves us? I mean, that's a good question. That's what we're supposed to be feeling. And that's why the next couple of verses are crucial. And actually pretty fascinating. So that leads us to our third and final step and section. So God tells Hosea to take her in. He does so. And then they're not to have full intimacy for many days. Which leads to our third question. Why? 
Right? That's our, that's our final question. Why? Why all of this? And the answer is verses 4 and 5. And just so you know, we ask that why question because as you can see, verse 4 literally starts with the word for or because. And that shows us that these verses literally, or better yet, literarily, they exist to explain verses 1 and 3. And for us, that also means, as you'll see, that these verses exist in a way to explain and show God's love towards us. But that said, each of these verses is quite important. They build on one another. So first, let's just look at verse 4. So why all of this? We'll look at your Bible, Hosea 3, verse 4. For because the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, whether ephod or household gods. So as we approach a verse like this, first we just need to quickly remember that this story, remember, about Hosea and Gomer truly happened in history. So I want to remind us of that. Israel was really rebellious as a nation against God at this time. Hosea was a prophet that God spoke to and through. Gomer was actually a prostitute who had kids. Hosea went and took her in. Then they had kids together with these really strange names. right? And then she left him. Then he took her back. But then they were not to have intimacy for some time in their marriage. And all that was happening with all these people watching around 730 B.C. So so they're going through all of that as God's symbol to themselves and to all of Israel. And why? And why especially this limitation on their intimacy? Well, verse 4, because the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And now, remember the history part, just try to imagine if you can yourself as an Israelite hearing that verse back then. Because for us, 2,000 plus years later, that verse, yes, is confusing to us. But for them, they would have gotten it. Because Hosea and Gomer are back in marriage. Why? Because God loves his people. They got that. That is clearly a message of this book of Hosea. But also, another message, which now also is symbolized in Hosea and Gomer, is that apparently there is going to be a time, many days, Where God, yes, does love his people and they will be his children and yet it won't be complete. It won't be a fully intimate relationship. It won't be a marriage to its fullest. Because that's essentially, if you break it down, what this list of things there in verse 4 is about. Because as for this, let's look down. On the one hand, some of these things are really positive things. Particularly two things in that list are really positive. Namely, that Israel be, will be without household gods and without pillars. As pillars back then is most likely talking about big stones that they used to raise in honor of pagan deities. And so not having those things is really good. Israel would be more faithful to God. And yet, even with those bad things gone, notice all the good things that they'll be missing for many days. Because yes, they'll be back with their God, loved, without pagan idols, but also they wouldn't have a king or a prince. Meaning they wouldn't have the ruler that God promised them and that they needed. Nor would they have sacrifice, which we know is needed for their full removal of sins. Nor finally would they have ephod, which is just the garment that the priests wore. So that's symbolizing worship and intimacy with God. And so to say it most simply, God says here in verse 4, yes, Israel would be better for a time, back with God in a sense, and yet also for many days they wouldn't have full intimacy. 
Their worship wouldn't be complete. They wouldn't have as deep of a relationship. And they'd be in that state for many days. All until the full intimacy would be revealed and restored. And if you're tracking, the reason then for why Hosea and Gomer's analogy in verse 3 of this marriage and yet also not yet fully intimate marriage matters is because this was around the 700s B.C., And then, as we know, this period of time, though, following this, this many days, really did happen in history. It's amazing. God had it that for a time, he, in a sense, didn't have full intimacy with his people, with Israel, or really with the whole world. He did have a period of time when Israel, when God's people, as you might know, for 700 plus years were waiting for more. They were waiting for the coming king. The Messiah that they needed. They were waiting for a fuller, more secure marriage. They were waiting for God's promised new covenant. And and why did God do it this way with this long period of waiting? Well, here's the point. He did it this way apparently also that he could more fully reveal his grace, his mercy, his love. He did it like this with all these years of history so that this new covenant which was coming not just for the people of Israel but also for the whole world we know. He did it so that that eventually would shine all the more brightly. Or to say it most simply, God had the whole story of Israel and then this period of waiting for hundreds of years also that when the time came, he would even more fully reveal his love. And in basic, if you're tracking, that's then where this all starts to apply to you and me. And that's then where verse 5 comes in. So verses 1 through 4 set the stage. Hosea and Gomer back together. No intimacy though for many days. And why? Why have the story of world history and the analogy of Hosea and Gomer go like this? Well, because Israel and God's people will be back with God, but no intimacy for many days. But soon, the many days will end. And then what? Verse 5, look at your Bible. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come and fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And that's an exact prediction of the new covenant. A promise about Christ coming as king, as God himself, and of God's people truly returning to him, coming in reverential fear to his goodness fully and finally. That's the new covenant in Christ. That's exactly what happened in history. That's where we fit in all of this. And that means, and perhaps most importantly, it means that this here really shows us how we can know that God truly loves us. In what he did here, in history, culminating in Jesus, which is the same history that you and I all find ourselves in. And this is where I hope this now really comes home to you and I this morning. Because think about it. God could have done his saving work differently. And have you ever thought about that? He could have. He, he could have theoretically just sent Jesus right away after sin entered the world or something like that. But, but he did it this way, with this history of the world, with this history of Israel, with this history of the gospel 2,000 years ago, with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and with the historical promise that he's going to come back one day to this earth. And why? 
Well, one of the reasons is what we see here in Hosea 3 with this analogy of Hosea and Gomer's marriage and that period of no intimacy. And the reason then is so that there be this built up and clear display of what we really need and then of God's love and full intimacy revealed in history in Jesus. God wanted that. Or to say it another way, God did it like this in the storyline of the universe and the storyline of the Bible with God creating everything and then sin entering and then him choosing just Abraham and then Israel and then with Israel rebelling and then him taking them back and then though him promising something greater though and then that something greater and grace coming in the coming of Christ. He did it all that way so that the God we love and the salvation he offers and the gospel we believe so that it wouldn't just be truths that his people merely believe to be truths like on a piece of paper. Meaning, if you think about it, Christianity is not only, I hope you know, truths on a paper, truths like you're a sinner, God loves you, and you can be forgiven in Jesus. Because that is the gospel, and that is true, and those are gospel statement truths. And yet, I hope we also realize that God did all of this in history so that what his people believe and know about him and his love isn't just truths that we can write down on a piece of paper. Nor is it just something that we subjectively feel to be true. Instead, and, and particularly, he did all this in history so that the truths about his love would be rooted and proven in history. <laughs> rooted and proven in reality, taking place outside of you and me. Which, if that sounds merely academic, really does matter so much when we consider God's love for you and for me. Because this, this then really isn't the way to answer, a way to answer the question we opened with this morning, the question of how do I know that God really does love me? Because think about it, after seeing verses 1 through 5 here, now ask yourself, according to this passage, back then, how was Israel? After hearing this chapter, supposed to know that God really loved them. Well, yes, they would go through this time of not full intimacy with God, but then afterward, God says that they would return and seek him and seek David, their king. They'd, they'd finally have that good king again, and then they'd finally come in fear to his goodness. That's here how God says he'll show his love to them. He will show his love to them in making this historical promise of verse 5 come to pass. And so back then, this actually happening would prove to them that God really loved them. That's the topic of this paragraph. And really the point is, so it is for us. Meaning, we see that actually God loves us. He really does. That he loves me and what he did in history. In the historical storyline of creation, sin, Israel, their failure, him taking them back, them needing more like we need more, and then all of that centering on and culminating in God's loving coming in Jesus and the gospel. And, and I know, just slowing down for a second, I know that thinking of God, of knowing that God really loves me by looking at history might be really new to you. This idea that I can know God loves me by looking at history might sound strange. Because you might have always thought that God's love for you is proved mainly in just subjective feelings you have of being loved. Because that really is a common idea and thought in our therapeutic culture we live in. The idea that you're only loved if you really feel loved. 
Or maybe, especially in our individualistic culture we live in, maybe you've always just thought that you'd only know God loves you if he's proven that by doing certain things in your life. Or maybe you feel loved by God only if he does this or that in your life. And now to be really clear, both of those can matter. We, we can sense God's love by how we feel loved by him. The Holy Spirit does that in our hearts. And yes, we can see his love sometimes and how he does things in our lives, absolutely. But do you know what? Even more so, all the time in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, do you know how God says he proves his real love towards you and towards me? Well, again, it's what God has done in history. That's how God proves his love. It, it's in the story of creation falling into sin, but God choosing Abraham, Noah, the patriarchs, Israel, and then them all being sinful, God taking them back, and then that still being not enough, and so God promising more, and then that really being fulfilled and climaxing 2,000 years ago in history when God himself, Jesus, walked this earth, lived a perfect life, did amazing miracles, loved sinners, rose again after going to the cross, suffered in the place of sinners, and then he promised he'd come back. That's history. That's, that's not, let's be honest, that's not mainly subjective feelings that you and I have. Nor is that mainly about what God is doing in you or in my life. That's straight up world history. <laughs> but the point is that really that's how we know God loves us. <laughs> that's how God shows he loves me. Because he really did that. And if he did that in history, it means he loves me. Or as Romans 5.8 says, this is in the New Testament, Paul writes this very clearly, God shows his love for us. And that word shows is a present tense verb, mean, meaning right now God is showing his love for us. Quote, God shows his love for us in that Christ died for us. <laughs> Past tense. In history. And again, that's then where verse 5 comes in. And then, yes, there's a lot more in verse 5 we could talk about, and so we actually will pick up here again next week. But in brief, verse 5 being here in this chapter does show us clearly in this passage about God's love, what his love looks like. Because this meant, yes, in the context for Israel here, that there was to be a time where the marriage wasn't full and God's love wouldn't be as clear. And again, that was the case before the coming of Christ. In the old covenant, as they were waiting for the promised Messiah, but again, that all was to set the stage for world history when God's love would be put on clear display. And church, that did and that has happened in history at the central point of history, which one last time shows us, sinners like us, that we can really know that God truly loves us. Which means, as we now come to a close, to just finally make sure that we do now make this personal it means that we finally just need to be intentional then to each ask ourselves, do I actually believe this? Like really, have I, have I truly embraced God's love? His love that he displayed in history like this? Because the truth is, God is real. He created this world. We're broken and sinful, but he's a righteous and a good and loving God of grace. And the truth is, of our universe, that God orchestrated world history to show who he is. To show that he's a loving savior. Which is most proved in the coming in the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so that is the truth. Outside of you and I rooted in history. Which though does mean for you and I living in that history. 
that the main question though is, do I believe this about God? Have I received this love in Jesus? That, that's, that's the main question the Bible asks us. And that's where this love outside of us becomes personal to us. And so if you are here, let me just say, and you have not received God's love before, I just pray that maybe if this is new to you in some ways, that you simply say yes to all of this. Right? Simply, simply say, yes, I, I believe and I trust this God of love. Because that, that's all he asks. We, we usually call it faith in Jesus. The Bible sometimes calls it receiving Jesus. But in the end, whatever word we use, faith in Jesus is simply broken sinners saying yes to all of this. Yes to Jesus. And then simply relying on this God of love because he truly loves us. And so again, if you haven't done that, I pray you personally do so this morning. But then finally, church, for those of us here, I know it's many of us who have received God's love in the gospel. I just pray for all of us, myself included, that after seeing what we've seen in Hosea 3 here, that we continue to know that the living God really loves us. And again, one last time, because we need to hear this over and over, brothers and sisters, we know God loves us. Not because of how great we are, because we aren't nor because we feel his love all the time. Because although we often do, let's be honest, often we don't. Nor do we have confidence that God loves us mainly because of what he's doing in our lives. But instead, God's word is clear. We know God loves us primarily because he has proven it in history in Jesus. <laughs> I say it one last way. In God's good and sovereign and wise plan of history, the history of the world all really does center on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And there, sinners like you and me can really see and know that God loves us. Let's pray, church. Let's pray.